Thank you for tuning in to this special theology edition of Consider It, where we examine each section of our doctoral statement. I'm Blair Cushman, the lead pastor at Redemption Bible Church, and it's our hope that as you listen, your mind will be sharpened, your heart will be stirred, and your hands will be strengthened to love God and one another more passionately. On this episode, we examine our statement on God the Father. You can find our doctrinal statement online at our website at redemption.bible. Let's begin by reading the statement as found in our doctrinal statement. God the Father. And it says this, We believe God the Father created all things in six literal days for His glory according to His own will, through His Son Jesus Christ. He upholds all things by the word of His power and grace exercising sovereign headship over all creation, providence, and redemption. Now, as I read that, this is a a short statement uh, because uh, here God the Father is um, uh, really who, when we refer to God kind of generically, I think oftentimes he is the member of the Trinity that we are referring to. And so if you uh, have not yet listened to our statement on the Trinity, you can also find that here on our podcast or read that statement. But today we just take this first member of the Trinity, uh, commonly known as God the Father. Um, there's many names for God, um, uh, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, Elohim, and other uh, specific names of God, but uh, one of the ways that he is uh, most referred to, and especially as we think in context of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, this name of Father is the best way um, and maybe the easiest way to refer to um, him. It's especially as we get to the New Testament, we see uh, God, our Father, and uh, we see the distinctions between the various members of the Trinity. And so as we've been doing in uh, these uh, podcasts, let's just uh, take this statement, kind of a, a phrase at a time, and uh, and look at what the Scripture teaches about these things and um, maybe some other things that, uh, that will add some clarifying context to the statement which we, um, uh, which we hold and believe here at Redemption. And so the statement begins uh, really with a reference to God the Father as the Creator, the one who has created all things, in six literal days uh, for his glory and according to his own will. And so where do we find the creation account? Well, the very first chapter, two chapters really, of our scriptures in in Genesis 1-1, it begins with that, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. And it begins to then describe these six literal days of God's creative work, uh, creating the heavens and the earth and and uh, everything on down to um, the animals and humanity. And then we know on the seventh day he rested. And so the Bible begins right with his creative work. There was nothing or no one before God. He is eternally existing before all things. And when uh, uh, this human existence, this earthly physical existence comes on the scene, it is because God uh, created uh, this earth and so right from the get-go but the bible also ends with god as creator as well um it's it's very interesting that this is where we would um uh, begin the bible and end the bible and so when you get to a passage like revelation 4 you see uh, um 
this scene around the the throne, uh, this scene in heaven, and even God's created uh, powers are highlighted as a reason for why he is worthy of worship. This is Revelation 4.11. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so, there, uh, at the very end, a reference back to where we began. We begin with God and God's creative work, specifically as God the Father, as the one ordaining and creating and initiating the creative process. It is God that uh, spoke things into existence out of nothing. It's God who um, uh, willed them into being. And why? All for his glory. Also that uh, we would worship him. Not the creation, but we would worship the creator here and now and also uh, for eternity. As we see this scene in heaven that we will be worshiping God. Why? Because he created his glory on a macro level as we look to the vast expanse of the heavens as we look at the enormity of the universe and then on the flip side as we look on a micro level down to uh, the cellular level down to our very dna both of those uh, a creation on a macro level and on a micro level all scream the glory of God, of a great grand designer schemer, of a loving father. And all of this was uh, so he would be praised uh, all for his glory. God is uh, the creator. Um, he created it and initiated it uh, through the work of Christ uh, and, uh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. All were involved, but here God the Father was the initiator. Um, it says that in the scriptures that he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's Hebrews uh, 1 uh, verse 3. It, and it speaks of not only did God create all things and, and uh, put it into existence, uh, but now he also sustains it and is, is involved in creation. This is different from the deistic view of God where, uh, where there's a recognition of a creator but then uh, has uh, backed off of humanity then um, that view that God is not actually um, involved in creation. Uh, he uh, set it into motion and then peaced out, whereas no, we'd say that he is actively sustaining, he is sustaining uh, all things um, here on this earth, um, upholding it involved in the details. Colossians 1 Verse 17 says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is speaking of Christ working as, uh, as God, the image of the invisible God, as uh, it's referred in Colossians 1.15. Um, this is Christ, um, but all things are being sustained and held together. But um, not only is he just holding it together, not just like he's juggling plates in his hand or something, but he is also the sovereign orchestrator of all things. And so God the Father is seen through Scripture as the creator in the very beginning and in the end. We kind of get these bookends as the creator. He is the sustainer, but he is also the orchestrator, the orchestrator of, uh, of a whole host of things. 
I love in, in Paul's letters, he refers to God as Father quite often, and uh, in his prayers, he does as well. Um, Jesus refers um, uh, to uh, God in heaven as his Father. Um, he teaches us to pray that way as the one whom we direct our prayers to. We pray through Jesus by the Spirit, but we pray to the Father in uh, the the. Um, in the Lord's Prayer, um, he teaches us to pray our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. Um, and as we pray, why do we pray to him? Because, as I've just said, he is our sovereign orchestrator. And so Paul takes up this theme as well and as he uh, prays for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. Um, he, he recognizes God's uh, uh, direction of all of the of our ways. He says this, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He will go, go on actually say, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. See, what is he doing? He's appealing to God the Father who directs all of our steps who directs all of our ways. We plan them out, but the Lord ultimately orchestrates all of our steps. And so as Paul is praying, he has a, a very fond affection for these believers at Thessalonica, and he is praying and asking that God would sovereignly direct his steps to take him from where he is and bring him back to Thessalonica so he can be in their presence. In the same way, he's also he's, he's praying that God would make their hearts abound in love for one another. I love that. Sometimes people are hard to love, aren't they? Uh, they we don't always uh, just like gush with love for people. And so Paul is praying for them that God would make them increase and abound in love for one another. And God has a way of doing that. He, he also it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, there's some great prayers in uh, both First and 2 Thessalonians also. But using this same word um, in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, as he's praying, he says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so um, not only does God direct our paths or direct our ways, he also directs our hearts. See, God the Father is the sovereign orchestrator, the king of the universe who has control over our own hearts, the affections of our hearts, of, our, um, of the steps uh, uh, that we take throughout the day. And so what does he mean by this? 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, that the Lord would direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Well, I, I personally just love that verse, love that phrase there, because what he is, uh, what Paul is recognizing is the fickleness of our heart. We get caught up in all kinds of distractions. We get, uh, we get uh, distracted by temporary uh, loves of the satisfaction that we find in human relationships or in chocolate or in a TV show or in a pet or something. Um, or we can get uh, easily discouraged. We get uh, easily uh, downtrodden. Uh, we are tempted to give up. And this prayer is saying, no, God, even despite all of these feelings, my propensities to wander, my forgetfulness, my fickleness, God, would you direct my heart to the love of God, that I would not forget that, that I would think on the steadfastness of Christ who did not give up 
who went to the cross, who lived a life, who uh, endured uh, shame, who endured ridicule, who endured betrayal, who endured the most horrifics of beating and all the way to death, and he did so with steadfastness. And as we think of that, as we think of the love of God, uh, God directs our hearts to those things in such a way that um, our feelings of joy and comfort uh, overwhelm then the feelings of discouragement or doubt or distraction that we may have, and God can do that. He is God the Father, is our uh, is sovereign over these things. God the Father is also our lover. He's not just like some, um, uh, you know, unfeeling, uh, you know, air traffic controller organizing all the details of, uh, of our lives. He is, uh, he is feeling. He is full of love. First John is uh, often called the, the love epistle. It has really two themes of light and of love. And, and, and I love in, in First John um, chapter 3, he, John just kind of gushes here with the love of the Father. This is First John 3, 1, and it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's as if John is seeing the persecution around him. As It's as if he's seeing uh, people even turn from uh, the Lord as he sees uh, false doctrine rise up. He says, just turn your mind to the love of the Father, that we should be called his children. This is that great uh, doctrine of adoption, that at the moment of our regeneration, when we come to Christ, we become his children. And he is a good father. He is the most loving father, perfect in all of his ways, never uh, too busy for us, never um, too distant, never unavailable, never abusive, never dismissive. He is the good father, the loving father, and has bestowed it upon us. That's why I love passages in like Romans 8 when uh, he's talking about our uh, our adoption as sons. And it, it, it's almost like this is such a like core, fundamental, like in- internal thing that we almost can't even ex- describe the type of joy and the feeling that comes from this. The, and, and, when, and as he's talking about it, he's like... As we think of our adoption as sons, you've this is Romans 8. I'll just read it here for us. Verse 15, he says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Like we cry out like, Dad. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And this is an internal thing, that we, uh, an internal joy uh, to be known and loved by God the Father. And so, you know, back to our statement, as he exercises sovereign headship over all creation, it isn't just some unfeeling uh, kind of conductor. No, he is, he is doing so out of his great love because he has a plan, his, his providential working on our behalf, God using all things for good, even suffering, even terrible things. God's not the author of sin, 
but he uses sin for our good. He takes it and he is sovereign over that. He is, as the orchestrator, he is the most high. Daniel 4 uh, verses 34 and 35 talk about he is over all things and no one can stop him. Like who can stay his hand? Who can stop his will? Who can who can thwart his providential workings? No, see God is over all of these things and that's what's confessed in in uh, in in Daniel chapter 4. It says for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. See, his kingship, his headship will never be taken away. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? No one can question him. God as our father is a good father, a loving father, the most high father. And not only is God working out all the details of our life, not only is he directing the affections of our heart out of his heart, but he is also the orchestrator over the redemption plan uh, on an individual level and on a uh, humankind level. See, God has uh, providentially worked out all things um, at the exact right time, Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, in kind of a human history, as God the Father working out sovereignly the redemption plan, he sent Christ at the exact right time in human history. When the Romans were occupying the Holy Land, um, it, today would not have been the right time. Earlier, and when uh, the uh, Israelites were enslaved by the Babylonians, was not the right time. But at the exact right time in human history, Christ came uh, in human flesh to uh, to to redeem, to save a people. And now we're getting ahead to Christ, but that's, this is just something to think about. God uh, was working all of these things out at the exact right time in human history when, uh, when, uh, when the gospel could be uh, there spread from that epicenter of Jerusalem. But also, as we think on like a big level, there's also a personal level. Just some practical application. God uh, was working out your redemption plan. If you are a believer in Christ today, if you um, have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ and Christ's work on the cross, God was working that out in exactly the right way, bringing the right people into your life, putting you into the right family, um, opening your eyes at the right time to see the glory of Christ and the ugliness of your sin. But it was according to his plan. God moved all the pieces that you would see. God took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. And there are many places that we see this. Just like Paul's opening letters um, really describe much of this. Here's just one example in Galatians 1 verses 1 to 5 where he opens. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Who raised him from the dead, and all bro- all the brothers who are with me, and so there, right? Uh, uh, just a, a reference 
to and an acknowledgement of God the Father appointing him personally as an apostle and also um, orchestrating the events of raising Christ from the dead, that uh, guarantee, that seal, that uh, Jesus' uh, sacrifice was uh was accepted and now um and and now he's defeated death and he goes on he says to the churches of galatia that region kind of an asian minor and verse 3 says grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our god and father to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. And so in those first few verses, like I said, a really a reference to God the Father um, orchestrating Paul's individual calling, Paul's individual salvation, and, and then appointment as an apostle, as a messenger of the gospel uh, to a specific region for a specific purposes. And God really used Paul in a very unique way, but also in a big way as he talks about redemptive history here, uh, according to the will of our God and Father in verse 4 there, uh, was God working out this redemption plan. Now, I, I, I love passages like this as we just see the glory of God moving and working uh, in, uh, in, in through individual lives, but also bringing believers together. Like, just, just pause and think about this for a moment. Like, when you gather together in your small group or you gather together on a Sunday with your church, just think of all the parts and pieces that God moved to gather that body of believers together the relational connections, the place that people were born, the, the jobs that people had, the, the, the connections, everything that went into not only just gathering this group of people together, but also saving them and giving them really maybe only one thing in common, and that's their faith in Jesus Christ. Like that's one of the most mind-blowing, but also uh, gospel glorious, beautiful things on a Sunday morning that here is just a random collection of people, maybe a diverse body of believers, people with various affinities, various uh, uh, desires, um, all kinds of interests, but yet they share one common interest, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's just a glorious thought that God the Father could orchestrate all of these things and bring these people together for one common purpose, and that's to lift high the name of Jesus, to worship and glorify him in spirit and in truth. Isn't that a glorious thought? Isn't that uh, incredible to just think about? Like just the details as you think of your spouse and how y'all met. Like God orchestrated all of those things. Why did he do that? Why does he uh, orchestrate things the way that he does? Well, Ephesians really gives us a glimpse into that. He does all of this for the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, uh, beginning in uh, verse 3, well, in, even earlier, he talks, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by, guess what, the will of God, right, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So just an acknowledgement there of the sovereign Lord. 
But then he goes on, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless uh, before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved. And so that's a whole mouthful. It's really a run-on sentence, actually. Um, But as we think of God as the creator, God as the sustainer, God as the orchestrator, God as the lover, God is also the chooser. And he, um, one of scripture's unescapable uh, doctrines, some love it, um, we all should love it, some hate it, actually, is this idea that he chose us. Here it says, plain as day, Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him who's at Christ before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1, 1, what we just read, God chose some that would be holy and blameless before him. Why? In love. He did it in love, not because of what we would do, not so we could boast, not because uh, we were great or God, like some, for some reason, needed us on his team. No, he did it in love according to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. All of us deserve hell. All of us deserve the chastisement that Christ took. All of us deserve the penalty for our sin. And yet God chose some in love to be trophies of his grace. And that's not a, a, a means for um, this, this like elitist type attitude. Like somehow, like we are better than anybody else. It's actually a uh, when it's rightly understood, a cause for great humility. Like, what have we done? Who are we? What is my house that we should serve the Lord? But why it was according to God's glorious grace that we might praise Him. Back to what we saw at the end, that He would be uh, ascribed the worth and the glory that is due His name. God the Father is the chooser of those that will worship him. And that brings up some like uh, arguments that uh, some will like, why? How is that fair? Why, why, can we, um, why can we say that? How is uh, God loving and just and all of that? And uh, Romans 9 really just takes us back uh, to this biblical metaphor of the potter. How can we question the potter we are just the clay and the potter has the uh, right to choose to do with a lump of clay as he will romans 9 verse 20 says but who are you O man to answer back to god will what is molded say to its molder why have you made me like this has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use no, we can't. We have no, um, we have no uh, um, um, right to question what God would do, but just to um, embrace His love and mercy in choosing even us. Now, God is good. God is our Creator. God is uh, the one who is providentially working over all uh, creation from our individual lives to our salvation uh, to uh, holding and moving all the heavenly hosts in their place. But this is God, our Father. 
Thank you for tuning in to this special theology edition of Consider It. Or to find out more about what we believe, you can find our doctrinal statement online at redemption.bible.com.